Well, we uh, continue our sermon series on the miracles of the Master, uh, looking at the uh, signs or miracles, seven signs or miracles that we find in John's Gospel that always points beyond that miracle to the Messiah and has us to uh, uh, look at Jesus and see uh, uh, more about Him. And every one of these seven miracles that we will look at talks more, uh, explains more to us about Christ rather than just the obvious that we see in that miracle. Uh, the first sign and miracle was uh, Jesus' first miracle uh, in Cana of Galilee at a wedding. They were running out of wine, and that was a symbol of joy. And the mother said something to him about, you know, that they're running out of wine. And then she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And we talked about joy. And, and maybe that our level of joy uh, has diminished. And we talked about checking our, our level of joy, because wedding is associated with a joyous, happy time. And then last week we looked at the second sign, and that was Jesus' healing uh, of the son of the, of the uh, nobleman. And we saw that that was a challenge to us as it was to that father uh, to let Jesus develop our faith, to challenge our faith, and to help us grow and develop in our faith. And then today we come to the third sign or the third miracle. And it's the healing of a paralytic uh, at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, it is a challenge to us today as we look at what it means for us because the miracle is obvious that he healed this man as we go through this story. But the challenge is for us to allow Jesus Christ and his power to bring into our life the needed change so that we can deal with everything that might be uh, restricting our life, any kind of chain that might be holding us back, any kind of habit or addiction or whatever that might be restraining our lifestyle. So let's look at the story. We find it in John 5, verses 1 through 9. It follows right after the the healing of the nobleman's son. And, And this is what we find in the Scripture. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, I learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Well, there obviously is a miracle that took place there. It's a little bit different uh, than the others that we have looked at and will look at because uh, there was no request from this man that he asked of Jesus if he would heal him. But rather Jesus asked this man out of all the people that were lying there, however many there were with various diseases and illnesses and maladies, uh, do you want to get well? And as we go through and we unravel this story, it, the more and more it reminds me of this story that I heard about. The three guys were on a lake in a boat and they were fishing. And all of a sudden Jesus appears, he walks across the water and he gets in the boat with them. Well, they're greatly amazed. And one guy finally gets his composure and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, ever since I was in Vietnam and I took scrapnel in my back, said, I've just had terrible back pain. I can't get any relief. Is there anything you can do for me? 
And Jesus said, sure, my son. He put his hand on the man's back, and immediately he was cured and no more pain. The second guy wore thick glasses, real thick glasses, because he had terrible eyesight. Had trouble seeing, couldn't drive, all of that. And he said, Jesus, is there by any chance anything you could do for my eyesight? And Jesus just smiled, reached out, took the man's glasses, threw them into the lake. And as soon as the glasses hit the water, immediately the man's eyesight was just perfect, 2020. Jesus turned to the third man in the boat, and the guy says, stay away from me. I'm on 100% disability. (laughs) Well, it kind of fits with the story that when Jesus looks at this man and asks him, do you want to get well? We don't know whether the man really wanted to get well or not. Because his answer is yes, but his answer was a strange one. So let's break this miracle down and look at it before we make the application. First of all, let's look at the setting of this miracle. Scripture tells us very clearly, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem for celebrating of one of the feasts. And it's interesting that he enters through the sheep gate. He is the Lamb of God who has come in and take away the sins of the world. And he entered Jerusalem through the sheep gate through which would be normally led the the sheep that would be led for for the sacrifices that would be made in the temple. And that John wants to put that in and make sure uh, that he is clear with that with his readers. And then once Jesus is inside there, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. And there are all these people lying around it with all different kinds of infirmities, disabled people. Now, the scripture says the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. I think maybe we've got a picture about this that might help you get a, a picture in your mind maybe uh, of uh, this pool of Bethesda. This is um, what it would look like outside, and this is a different rendition of it where there's the pool, and if you see the people coming and getting into the water. Now, it's intriguing to me that of all these people around the pool, Jesus chooses this one man who doesn't ask him of anything, and there's no recording here in the Scripture that anybody else lying around that pool that day asked Jesus for anything or healing or anything. This man didn't even know who Jesus was, apparently. And so when Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? It might sound like a ridiculous statement, but think about what it would mean for that man. For 38 years he had been there. For 38 years that was his lifestyle. For 38 years that that was all he had known. And and he probably was making a living off of that by, by begging. And people would come and bring money and other things and would help him. So you've got to think about that. Let's put 38 years into perspective and think about what we have seen take place in 38 years. If we go back 38 years, that takes us to the year 1977, if I did my math right. Is that right? You remember who was president? Jimmy Carter. Vice President, Walter Mondale. Some interesting things took place in 1977. In January of that year, the first Episcopal woman priest was ordained. You remember Legionnaire's disease? Well, finally in January of 1977, the scientists identified the bacteria that was causing that breakout mysteriously of Legionnaire's disease. The TV miniseries Roots draws an audience of 130 million viewers. Star Wars hit the theaters, and it's the, still the second highest grossing film of all time. Saturday Night Fever. Sparked the disco inferno. Elvis Presley dies at Graceland, his home in Memphis, Tennessee. That is if you believe that Elvis is dead. Some people don't. (laughs) Uh, And he was 42, 42 years of age. 
Hot movies for that year, 1977, at various times were Saturday Night Fever, Star Wars, Annie Hall, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then the favorite television shows, the most popular, all oh, this takes me back a long time. Well, 38 years, just like does you. Some of you can't remember that far back. You weren't anywhere around during that time. But number one show, Laverne and Shirley. You remember that? Happy Days, Three's Company, 60 Minutes, uh, Charlie's Angels, that was the original Charlie's Angels, All in the Family, Little House on the Prairie, Alice, MASH, and number 10, One Day at a Time. Now you think about what's happened from that time, and you can say, gosh, what was I doing in 1977? Well, I was still a seminary student, two years into our marriage, uh, pastor of church. So I'm thinking about these things that happened in 1977. We don't know what went through that man's mind, but he'd been lying there for 38 years when all of a sudden Jesus appears and says, do you want to get well? And the man said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Well, look, look with me and see, does your Bible have verse 4 in it? Most New Immersions do not. King James, New King James, and I think New American Standard has verse 4 in it. It's not in my NIV. And the reason for that is that after John's Gospel was written, there's a theory that, that most scholars believe that there were some copyists who felt like they needed to insert verse 4 that talked about the fact that there was a superstition that at certain times an angel would come down, stir up the water in that pool of Bethesda, and the first one who could get down into that water would be healed because the angel had touched that water and it was stirred up. And so that's why verse 4 is in some texts and not in other texts. Most reliable text that we find does not have verse 4. It's kind of added by those who were copying the scriptures at that time. But that gives us some idea why the man's answer to Jesus when he asked him, do you want to get well, was, I don't have anybody to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. So he did not answer Jesus' question, did he? He dismissed the question and he complained about his condition. I think he's really whining about his condition in life instead of answering the question that Jesus asked him. Now, as we talk today about this challenge to us to allow Christ to change some of the things in our life that need to be changed, like being bondage to sins and, and being held to habits and uh, having uh, grudges that we're holding on to and all those kinds of things. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get away from all of these things? We've got to have a right answer for him, okay? So now, let's look secondly then at the sequence of this miracle and how it took place. First of all, there is that strange question that Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Seems like a, an obvious question, you know, like, you know, you, how many of times, fathers, are we guilty of this? You got a kid crying, you don't know why, he's just kind of upset, he's unhappy about something, you know, and, and what do we have a tendency to say? You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about, right? And so Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? Kind of seems like ridiculous, but Jesus never said anything or asked anything that wasn't appropriate. Now, you consider that man. Maybe for 38 years, he felt like he couldn't change his pattern. There was no hope for him. There was no way that he could do anything any better. And maybe he would have to think about, I, I, I got to get out if I get healed, and, and I got to find a way to make a living because he made his living lying there beside the pool. 
And people would not only bring money, but they would also bring food and clothing and, and all of that. Now, let's transpose that into our life and our society and our culture today, and you look within your own life. There are a lot of believers today, and certainly most non-believers, who are living with a lot of mess in their lives. And a touch from God would bring healing, but it would also interfere with life as we know it. It turned our life upside down. Now, how would that happen? Well, you know, some people today wouldn't want to give up their bitterness. They'd rather hold on to a grudge rather than surrender to justice and forgiveness. They'd rather nurse their anger and hold a grudge than to be free from that. And so maybe the question, do you want to get well, wasn't ridiculous after all. Because I think it's the question that not only penetrated to the heart and life of this man beside the pool, but it also points to us and to our heart condition very strongly. See, some of us are crippled by the issues in life. Some of us are crippled by circumstances. Some of us are crippled by sin. I'm not making light of it in any way at all. But the question for you today is, do you want to get well? Do you want Jesus really and truly, to heal the parts of your life where you've been damaged? Or is it easier for you to hold on to the hurt? Is it easier to let bitterness fester and to wallow in your hurt and betrayal, licking and liking your wounds? See, I think all too often we hold on tightly to the things that paralyze us spiritually. And we cry out and we say, my life isn't my fault. Somebody else is to blame. But Jesus looks at you today, to each one of us, and he says, do you want to get well? To the one who's crippled by past hurts, Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? To someone chained by a secret sin, Jesus says, do you want to be set free? To someone battling an addiction, Jesus asks, do you want to overcome? To those of you who have not yet invited Jesus into your life to be Savior and Lord, Jesus says, do you want to be saved? And to all of us who need that healing touch in any part of our life, he asks us, do you want to get well? We don't need to come with an excuse that we look at in verse 7, but we need to come back and really be able to say, yes, Lord, I really want to be healed. I want to put the past behind me. I want to claim that abundant life with no distractions, and I want to move on in life. But that's not what this man said. He gives a lame excuse. He says, I don't have anybody to help me get down in there, and people get ahead of me. You know what he's saying? He said, I can't. I can't do that. When Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Psychiatrists tell us that when we're dealing with issues in our life, and we make that statement that we say, I can't, that what we're really saying is, I won't, I will not, I will not do that. And that might apply to your situation today. I'm not really talking about your physical condition, something you have no choice over. I still believe Jesus performed this miracle and healed this man, and he walked. I have the evidence of that in the scripture. I believe the scripture, and he did. I believe Jesus still performs miracles today, and he can do anything he chooses to do. But what he wants to do now is he wants to work in your heart, in your life, in your spiritual condition. Now you think about some of the challenges in your life, the issues that you've got there that are, that are chaining you, that, that have you 
dealing with guilt and shame and bitterness and anger and a grudge and all of those things. And instead of saying, I, 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 I can't deal with this, say, I won't. How does this sound? I won't forgive. You know, I won't stop drinking. I won't get along with my family. I won't move past my hurt in life. I won't get over my grief. I won't accept salvation. I won't ask for forgiveness, nor will I grant it. See, those are pretty lame excuses that we can offer. And then following that comes the impossible instruction in verse 8. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He said, that's the very thing this man hadn't been able to do for 38 years. I wonder when he first heard those words, did he think, you know what? I haven't had any movement in my legs in the 38 years of my life. You know, they haven't had any use. Can I stand up on them? Can I walk? Can I do what Jesus tells me to do? And he must have had some movement of faith because Jesus said, take your bed with you. You know, and the reason he did was he wanted this man to rise and the power that Jesus had to put into his life. And he wanted to make no provision for the man to come back to his former way of life. Jesus is saying it's time for you to move on in life. Deal with your issues and move on. And that's the same thing that he's saying to us today. Do you really, really want to be made well? And you're dealing with some of this stuff in your life. And, and you think, I, I can't get over this. I can't forgive. You don't know what happened and how hurt I have been. Think about Jesus as he was nailed to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them because they knew not what they did. Listen, if you're holding on to a grudge that you have against somebody, they might not even know what they've done to you. You're not doing one thing in this world to hurt them, but you are destroying yourself internally. And it makes you bitter. And you're filled with resentment and anger at times when you get in touch with that. And the only way you can deal with that is to admit that you can't, but Christ can. And when he looks at you today and asks, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be free from all of that? Then you've got to claim his power and let him come into your life. Because only through Christ and his power can your past be forgiven. Can the issues in your life be put aside? Can you learn to forgive? And all of those things that have you shackled to where you are today. So let's move to the third point of this miracle. And ask the question, okay, what does this miracle point out about Jesus and his ministry that's applicable to our life today? And I would say this is where we look at the significance of this miracle. And in all of these signs and miracles, we're challenged to look beyond the miracle, the obvious, and to see the Messiah that sometimes we're not seeing in that process. See, Jesus reveals in this miracle his grace and his power. And he wants to have that ministry of grace and power involved in your life and, and let loose. It shows to us that he is the Lord of the impossibilities. What we can't do on our own he does through us. We have to look through and beyond the miracle and see the miracle worker who is Jesus. And I believe that there are some hurting people here today who need to hear and to believe in Jesus and that he can heal whatever's in your life.
He can bring healing out of the brokenness and the anger and despair that's in your life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In Isaiah 57.15, God says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, there's promise from God's word that God is, is here today. Christ is here today. He says, I'm with you. I want to revive your spirit. I want to restore your heart. I want to set you free. If you're willing to be changed today, if you really want to be made well. You see, just like Jesus saw that man and he singled him out above everybody else, lying around that pool, he looks at you today, he sees you, he knows the issues you're dealing with, and he wants to make you well. He wants to help you get over those and move from the past. So how do you do that? I think there are three things, three steps. First of all, you've got to decide that you really want to experience a change in your life. See, some of you say, I'm never going to forgive. You'd rather hold on to that anger and frustration and let that grudge and let that, let that hurt just fester in your life. Because you don't want to deal with justice and you don't want to forgive because that's a sign of weakness. You've got to make a decision that says you really want to make a change, have a change made in your life through the power of Christ. You really want to be made whole. You want to be set free from every chain that would hold you captive. Then secondly, you've got to stop making excuses. When Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get whole? Do you want to be healed? He came up with excuses. So I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. And when I try to get there, somebody gets in front of me. I think we're used to using a word very wet in our culture today, and that's the word victimization. We like to say that we're a victim of our circumstances, of our culture, and our society. We're a victim of all those who've hurt us in the past. In a lot of ways, we are. But you've got to move beyond that issue and stop making excuses. How do you know whether you're a victim and you're living with that syndrome? See, victims endlessly repeat how they've been mistreated. That's the story they tell over and over and over. They don't look for how you can get above it and beyond it. Victims live by the notion that life should always be fair. You should live long enough by now to know that life is not fair. Victims find it difficult to forgive others because they see forgiveness as a sign of weakness. Victims have difficulty maintaining close relationships because they they have been hurt in the past and they distrust people. And the cry of the perpetual victim is, it's not my fault. Well, it might not be your fault that somebody singled you out to hurl verbal abuse at you or physical abuse or sexual abuse or they've told things about you that weren't true or they've hurt you with other things that they have done or not done for you. And you've got two choices. You can either continue to remain to be a victim of all of that Or you can let Christ free you from all of that. And I think it's only through his power that you can do that. And that leads to the third step. And that is you have to discover, uh, decide to allow the power of Jesus to bring change into your life. You've got to learn to accept forgiveness. 
and to accept healing and to accept the life that God wants you to have and be broken from those chains. And then that allows you to make the decisions that you need to make. You can get rid of that grudge. You can forgive somebody. You might need some help to deal with that. And there are Christian counselors who are available who can help you deal with that. Some of them are so deep-rooted, you're going to need some help along with the power of Christ working in you through a good Christian counselor to help you deal with that. So this morning, this third miracle, a third sign of Jesus challenges us with that question, do you want to be made well? So where are you this morning? What will you do? Will you believe in God's goodness and grace? Will you believe that he wants to revive your spirit and restore your heart? Will you come to grips with the reality of your hurt? Will you make your healing choice? Will you pick up your mat and walk? Maybe you've got hurt in your life today and you really want to be made well. As we go into our invitation and our prayer, I want to ask you to bow, close your eyes, focus on what's going on today. Focus on Christ. And maybe in your heart you need to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you. I believe in your goodness and grace. I believe that you want to help me heal. And I'm willing to admit today that I'm hurting. I'm willing to choose healing over hurt. I'm willing to make the healing choice. I'm willing to take a step at a time toward healing and wholeness. Lord, heal me. I pray in your name. Father, we thank you in this miracle today that we see the mercy, the grace, the insight, and the power to change lives that Jesus Christ reveals to us as the Messiah. And I pray earnestly that there are those who are dealing with issues from their past, like this man who lay beside the pool for 38 years, that they'll be willing to come to terms with those issues and allow you, through your power, through Jesus Christ, to come into lives and change them. Set them free from any change that may shackle them. And let them know freedom and forgiveness and fullness and be able to grant freedom and forgiveness to those who have hurt them. And Father, we claim that because it's only possible in a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings your almighty power into our life. And we ask for that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.